could uh, take your Bible and um, open to the book of Daniel, chapter 7. Daniel, the 7th chapter. And uh, if you're familiar with Daniel, you know that with, with this chapter, we kind of come to the more difficult half of the book. And you'll see what I mean in just a minute when we, when we read it. it it's only going to get weirder from here. You, you might think you're uh, reading the book of Revelation when you read it. Uh, the second half of Daniel and the book of Revelation are very similar. Uh, in fact, John, who wrote Revelation, if you, if you study Revelation carefully, you, you might notice that John draws heavily from the book of Daniel. A lot of the same images, a lot of the same symbolism, um, the same kind of language, phrases that appear in Daniel also appear in Revelation. Um, and just to situate ourselves again, we're here in the middle of the book, just situate ourselves where we are in the, in the study of it. You might remember last Sunday, if you were here, when we were studying chapter 6, I'm, I just kind of made note of the fact that we've been going chapter by chapter because um, each week because each chapter is like a whole unit and tells a whole story, a different story. And we've noticed that uh, in chapters 1 through 6, almost invariably, every story that we've come across, whether it's when Daniel and his friends first come into captivity in Babylon and refusing to eat the food, or Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2, or the fiery furnace, I mean, excuse me, yeah, the fiery furnace in chapter 3, or again, Nebuchadnezzar kind of going crazy and coming back to his sanity in chapter 4, and so forth and so on. Although they seem like wildly different kinds of stories, they have one thread running through them. They have the same kind of theme running through them, and that is highlighting in all these different instances the conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of the world. Um, so Daniel was living through it. You know, like I said, he, he uh, in his own lifetime... He, in his home country, had, had been conquered by a powerful nation in Babylon, and he and his friends and his countrymen had been carried off into captivity, and, and, uh, and he had served at the pleasure of a wicked king, more than one wicked king, in, in Babylon, and then now he's under the thumb of the Medes and the Persians. Story after story after story, it's, it's continually illustrating how Daniel's faith was in conflict with the obligations and the situations that he was given in the palace of the king so you're always this question is how is he going to stay faithful to god in this situation or that situation how what's going to happen if 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 he chooses to obey god i mean thrown into a fire thrown to the lions i mean you know what's going to happen if he chooses to obey god rather than just obey the order that he was just given from the king whatever that might have been and this isn't this isn't unique to daniel this is this is all the way through the Bible. This is Old Testament, this is New Testament, this is now. I mean, even the New Testament, uh, for example, we're told again and again, like in, uh, in, in Hebrews 13, 14, this is where here we, here we have no lasting city. but We seek a city that is to come. Again, that, that right there, just we, here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. Here there are cities, we belong to a different city, city versus city, kingdom versus kingdom. Right? Kingdom of God, city of God versus city of man, kingdoms of the world. 
or Philippians 3.20, that our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, we live here, but we're not here. We're, 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 our citizenship is elsewhere. That's, a new, that's, that's the New Testament way of saying what you're seeing in story form in Daniel so far in, in the book. It's why Peter and John in Acts, we mentioned before, when pressed by the Sanhedrin to do, uh, to do something that they knew that they weren't to do, when the, when the law of God comes into conflict with the law of the land, they say we must obey God rather than men. Right? Um, that, that kind of reality has been the backdrop to every story so far in Daniel, chapters 1 through 6. But coming to chapter 7 that we get to today, the book kind of takes a turn uh, for the remainder of the book. And what we're going to find in a, is it feels drastically different than the first half, but what we're going to find in, in the visions and things that we have here, we're going to uh, find the, the curtain of reality pulled back a little bit. The curtain of reality kind of pulled back, and we're kind of given insight into why the world is this way. Why is reality like this? Why, are the king, why is the kingdom of God always at odds with the kingdoms of the world? Why is the, the city of God and the city of man always at enmity with one another? And what are the principles at work in the world that, that make it like it is? Uh, so you, you, you kind of get, uh, in chapters 1 through 6, story, 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 of instance, instance, instance of this conflict, and then the latter half of the book is like, why is it like that? And that's, uh, that's what we find beginning here in chapter 7 that will carry us through the end. So in Daniel 7, which we'll read in just a minute, is he's, Daniel has given visions from the Lord that showed him and showed us how, how we ought to see the nations, how we ought to see the kingdoms of this world, including our own, which I mentioned last week, where we ought to ground our hope um, and our happiness and our security. We're going to read it in just a second, but let me show you what I want us to see in it, and then we'll read it together. So here's... We'll read it in a minute, but I want to see four different things in it just to kind of give you some bearings of where we're going to go. It's four different aspects of this chapter. The first one is this. I want to see the reality in verses 1 through 8, uh, uh, the reality that's presented to Daniel in this first vision that he is given. It's a vision of four beasts. That's verses 1 through 8. So in a, vision, in a form of a vision, God gives uh, Daniel a picture of, earthly reality and then from that i want to see daniel's reaction to it in the last part of the chapter verses 15 through the end of the chapter the the reaction that daniel has to this vision that he was given in verses 1 through 8 i think his reaction is has some insights that are important for us today and then uh, i want to go back to the beginning of the chapter so for the third truth go back to verses 1 through 8 and think about the ruler um, that is behind all of this Verses 1 through 8, and then finally, scattered throughout the rest of the chapter, the reassurance that God is not only on his throne, but that everything in all of history and current events are moving toward his appointed end and goal. All right? So having said that, let's read it together. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, and then I'll pray again, and we'll ask God's blessing as we move our way through it. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Now, here right here, you see it's, it's going back in time. You see that? Because remember, Belshazzar died at the end of chapter 5. And Darius the Mede 
came to power. And, and, and so we're kind of going back in time with the first verse of chapter 7, back to when Belshazzar was, was king. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven was stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And then I looked at, as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the ten horns, and behold, there came up, up among them another horn, a little one, <laughs> before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. Behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Verse 9, as I looked, thrones were placed and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came from before him. A thousand thousands served him, served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Verse 15, as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. 
these four beasts, great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was ex- different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. And as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And from the time and the time when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones. He shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom... And the, dominion, and the dominion of the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. And all dominions shall serve and obey them. Here's the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Let's pray. God, Please give me the help that I need to teach this um, awesome uh, passage. Father, I pray that you would give us all um, ears to hear and eyes to see. And I pray that you would give us minds to understand what is meant for us to be understood clearly here. Give us hearts to embrace the truth. Give us wills to obey it and act upon it in faithfulness. And again, Lord, uh, the depths uh, in in these words are um, limitless, and we can only see what you want us to see today. So please help us to see it, and uh, may we rejoice in the truth today. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to walk back through it like I like I laid out right there, and, um, and see what we can get out of it. So let's start with the reality that's given to us in the first eight verses. And like I said, you, you don't, you're not reading very long before you feel like you're reading Revelation. I mean, it opens with a vision that feels like, sounds like a, a vision that John was given in Revelation, you know. And there's a reason for that. Uh, there are places in the Bible where, you know, Revelation is not the only place that you get stuff like this. Uh, you read the second half of Daniel, you read large portions of Ezekiel, 
Uh, you read Revelation, and they, like the, this half of Daniel, large portions of Ezekiel, they sound like Revelation because they are like Revelation. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, if you read your Bible, there are different kinds of literature in, 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 your, in your Bible. You have like historical narrative, just telling what happened. So Genesis and Exodus and 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings and Chronicles and all, just telling you history, just telling the story of history and what happened. That's not at all like the poetry you have in the Psalms. And that's not at all what you have in the wisdom literature in Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, which is not at all what you have in the letters of Paul. You see what I'm saying? You have different kinds of you don't, and, you, and, and it, that, if, that impacts how you go about trying to understand the meaning of those things. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't try to interpret the poetry of the Psalms like you do the, the carefully crafted logical arguments of Paul in his letters. You just don't, poetry's not like a carefully crafted logical argument. They all have different ways of understanding them. So when you come to a kind of literature of its own, like we have in Daniel, like we have in Ezekiel, like what you have in Revelation. It's, it's called apocalyptic literature. And because it's the, its own kind of thing, you have to come at it in its own way, just like you come to poetry in its own way, and just like you come to letters in their own way, and historical narratives in its own way. You come to apocalyptic literature in its own way, and that means you need to understand and begin to interpret uh, passages like this in Daniel 7 like you understand Revelation. And you might say, well, I don't understand Revelation. <laughs> um, you might be like that, and you might be like a lot of people. But here's, here's what I'm getting at at that, that hopefully can help you get some headway in passages like this and for the rest of the book of Daniel, and even Revelation for that matter. Symbolism is symbolism. Okay? Symbolism is symbolism. Clearly, this chapter and passages like this are heavy with symbolism. You've got, you've got lions with wings, and you've got something with ten horns, and then a little horn popping up out of nowhere. And you, you see what I'm saying? If, if, if some of these things, if you tried to press a literal understanding of it, it wouldn't make a lick of sense. It wouldn't, it'd be nonsensical almost. Uh, so you need to recognize that it's, it's, a, it's symbolic of some reality. Recognize that it's, a, that it's symbolic and don't always try to force a literal meaning into it or, try to find, or, or even try to find a literal meaning in every little detail. Here's what you need to do. That comes into play here because what, when you come to passages like this and you've got ten horns and a little horn and beasts with wings and da-da-da-da, your head can start spinning, but what you need to be looking for is to look for the, the main overarching point of the passage. Try to find the one main overarching truth that's being communicated here um, rather than try to strain every little detail out of it. And so here's what I'm getting at. The main, the main point of the vision in verses 1 through 8 that he's given is the rise and the fall of, na of the nations and the kingdoms of this world. The rise and the fall of the nations and kingdoms of this world, regardless of their apparent power and splendor at the present time. So in the, in the first vision, in, in verses 1 through 8, Daniel sees a series of four animals. 
He sees a lion, a bear, a leopard, and then one that isn't identified. We learn from the later in the chapter when the interpretation is given to Daniel that these four animals represent four kingdoms. Uh, so we read in verse 17, these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. Now that just, again, kings or nations or empires being symbolized through animals is not altogether weird or unique, if you think about it. I mean, countries still today have animals as their, I mean, we have a bald eagle. You see what I'm saying? Uh, so it's, 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 not, uh, it's not altogether unusual. But a lot of interpreters have tried to nail down exactly who these kingdoms are. These four, uh, these four kings, these four nations uh, arising out of the earth. And traditionally, uh, going, going way back at least, I'm not saying it's the predominant view, I'm just saying an interpretation that has gone back a long way has tried to identify these four kingdoms, and they identified the first one as the, the Babylonian kingdom, followed by the Persian kingdom, followed by the Greek empire, followed by the Roman empire. And in that way, it's sort of similar to Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2. And that might be true. It might be. That might be the, the, literally the four kingdoms that are referred to here. Um, but I... Just me talking to you, I'm not totally convinced that we're supposed to, we're supposed to identify who these four kingdoms are for, for um, a lot of reasons. Um, for one, um, even when Daniel, well, even when they're, yeah, even when the interpretation is given to Daniel later in the chapter, even the interpretation does not identify who the nations are. Even when he's given, here's what it means. He, nations are still not specified in this thing. For another, in, in, in passages like these, you find this here, you find it in Ezekiel, you find it in, in, in Revelation. A lot of times, numbers are not literal. Numbers aren't. Like, it's debated whether or not, for example, in, in Revelation, whether the number 144,000 is a literal number or is it a symbolic number? Numbers are not always literal. So are we literally talking about four here or is that symbolic of something else? Furthermore, the fourth beast is said to have ten horns and, we're, and then a little one pops up out of the middle of nowhere, but never is it specified who these ten kings are. We're just not given this much information. So if we're not supposed to figure out what specific kings what specific kingdoms are referenced here? What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to take away from this? What is the purpose of this vision for us still today? What I, what I, the way I come at this and understand it is I believe that the kingdoms described here, the, the lion, the bear, the leopard, and the one that is different than the rest of them, is, is, uh, is intending to describe Every kingdom throughout history, the pattern of kingdoms, the pattern of the kingdoms of the earth throughout history until, and, and how they become progressively worse until God brings it all to an end, okay? That's what I believe it's laying out. It's, it's laying out for us not just four specific kingdoms, but it's laying out for us a pattern 
of the kingdoms of the world, a pattern that will continue until God brings it all to a close, which is when the books are opened, right? So notice that the first three uh, kingdoms are all pretty vicious beasts. I mean, it's a, it's a lion, a bear, and a leopard. I wouldn't want to come up on any of those. But you see things are getting progressively worse because the fourth beast comes along. And in verse 7, this fourth beast is described as terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly uh, terrifying. And, and, and I, and, and, well, it, oh no, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. And again, in verse 19, the fourth beast was different from the rest, exceedingly terrifying. And I, 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 what, I, what that says to me is that as time marches on, as, as kingdoms and nations rise and they fall, things aren't getting better, they're getting worse. They're not getting better and better, quite the opposite. The whole picture of these kingdoms is meant to describe a world in disarray. Look again at how the vision begins in verses 2 and 3. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. In the Old Testament and in the book of Revelation at the end, you see this imagery of the sea a lot, right? Remember, uh, do you remember studying through Revelation if you've been here for Brother Al teaching through Revelation? You remember toward the latter chapters of the book of Revelation when things are coming to a close and the judgment of God is, is, is coming down on the earth and he's about to create a new heavens and a new earth. When Christ returns, it says... And the sea was no more. Right? The sea comes up a lot in, in, in apocalyptic literature. And in, the, in there and in the Old Testament and Daniel, the sea is often used as a symbol of the world, but it's always a world in, in rebellion, a world in chaos, like a storm at a sea. Like, that's the picture here. You've got in verse uh, 2, the four winds of heaven are stirring up the great sea. And out of this stirred up sea come this these four beasts that's the reality given to daniel and it was it wasn't completely surprising to him i mean he was the one living through it and the hardships he had endured at the hand of the governments he lived under but the reality is still true for us i mean kingdoms are still coming out of the sea you know and 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 for christians Living all over the world, they're living through things that Daniel lived through. And it, it's, it's always been that way since the first century and before. It's not always, I mean, it, it, and, it, and it can, the sea can be volatile in, in the nations and, and, and kings and countries of the, of the world through physical violence, physical persecution, which is a reality for many, if not most, Christians all over the world. But even in places where physical, and even places where physical violence is the reality, there are Things like economic uh, hardship, economic persecution, economic prejudice uh, can, uh, can come against Christians. And uh, Anyway, we could go for a long, long time about atrocities committed in other countries around the world, but these visions are, are meant to pull back the curtain of that reality that we see today and say that this is what's going on. It, it seems to be 
saying in this first vision that this is the way it's going to be throughout history. Nation, and then nation, and then nation, and then nation, and it's, going, it's not getting better, but it's getting worse. That's the world we live in. That's the world Daniel lived in. It's not really a new revelation. But like I said, that we, we've seen all, that, all through Daniel, especially in what we saw last week in chapter 6, we've, we've seen that to be the case. But let's think about the, what we see next, and that is Daniel's reaction to this vision. We see this a little later in the chapter, really the, the latter half of the chapter, when he asked for an explanation of this vision he was given. Look at verse 16. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all of this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. Okay? So you thought, all right, now we're going to get somewhere. <laughs> we're going to find out what all this just meant. But as I said earlier, when you read the interpretation that he's given in verses 15 through the end of the chapter, it's not like he's given a whole lot more detail. As to precisely who all of this is talking about. And besides that, look particularly at what Daniel's focus is. When all this is, when this interpretation is given to him about this beast and that beast, which is no more specificity than he got the first time, look particularly at Daniel's focus. Look at verse 19. Daniel says, Then I desire to know the truth about the fourth beast. I want to know about the fourth beast, which was different than the rest. Exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. So that fourth beast was the scariest one. It was, the, it was exceedingly terrifying. It says that more than once. Exceedingly terrifying. And Daniel even says at the end of the chapter, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed. I mean, if it scares Daniel, it's scary, Right? But that's where Daniel, out of all of these, when he says uh, he wanted to know what this meant, the first beast was explained, the second beast, the third beast, and Daniel says, I want to know about the fourth beast. Tell me about the fourth beast. And that's exactly how we are a lot of times. Like we, we hyper-focus on a particular news event or a country in the world or something that appears to be most threatening. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't too many years ago that, uh, that ISIS was advancing. And, and, and everybody, everybody's focus was on ISIS and, 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 and their, their march across the Middle East and what, what's going to happen. Are they gonna, just going to grow and they grow, grow and they grow and they grow and grow? People get hyper-focused on whatever seems most terrifying at the moment, nuclear bombs in North Korea, whatever it may be, Right? And, and, he, and even Daniel was totally preoccupied with it. He was consumed with it. And we think the same thing. Well, what if this and what if that? But if you notice in Daniel's question, when he says, I want to know about the fourth beast, tell me about the fourth beast. It's exceedingly terrifying. When he asks about that, he's not answered. He doesn't get an answer. Daniel's focus was on the fourth beast, that fourth kingdom that is so evil and so cruel, but he isn't given any more information about it. Rather, he's told instead what he should be focusing on, which brings us to the third point, which gets to the main point of the chapter and the third point that we see 
which is the ruler. So let's go back to the beginning. Daniel is pointed back to what he should be focusing on. And I want to start to see here what will fully be laid out in the next point, in the last point. All right, so back to the beginning of the chapter. And I want to point something out to you that's really simple, that maybe you noticed it the first time we read through it, but maybe you didn't. But it's, it's, it's just sitting right there. Um, so out of this frightening vision that Daniel was given in verses 1 through 8, as frightening as it was, notice some of the descriptions that are given of these different beasts. Something else clearly has control over these beasts. So look, for example, at verse 4. And the lion had eagle's wings, but they were plucked off. Who did that? And that beast was lifted up. Who did that? And he was made to stand. Who did that? Look at verse 5. When it describes the bear, it says it was raised up. Not it rose up. It passively. It was raised up. It was raised up at the end of the verse. And it was told, arise. Who's telling it? Who's raising it up? When you see in verse 6, the the leopard in verse 6, it specifically says at the end of the verse, dominion was given to it. Whoever this is did not take the dominion, did not earn the dominion, the dominion was given to it. Who gave it? Obviously, the point of this and the whole book was God is the one in control. God is the one who is the ruler over all of these earthly kingdoms who appear to be strong, appear to have splendor, appear to have authority, appear to have dominion. It might seem like they came and got it, but it was given to them. Let me just, we don't, I don't have it on the screen, but we've seen this a couple of times. Let me just show you one specific example of this in the Old Testament. Uh, hold your place in Daniel 7 and turn back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 45. And this is a, this is a, a prophecy concerning the Persian Empire and King si- who would be King Cyrus over the Persian Empire. Now this is a, a prophecy before Cyrus even came on the scene. But notice the language. Notice what God says of Cyrus the king in Isaiah 45. And and Cyrus, if you were alive then, Cyrus was a powerful king in the earth, the most powerful man in the world for a time. Here's what we see. Here's thus says the Lord, verse 1, thus says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus. Now, that's instructive right there, that Cyrus is... The Lord calls Cyrus his anointed. In other words, God has a plan for Cyrus. Whose right hand I have grasped. Just picture the imagery here. God has grasped Cyrus's right hand to subdue nations before him, to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him, that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. 
I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, Cyrus, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, Cyrus, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun, uh, of the sun and from the west, there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. That is, that is God telling Cyrus, I let you win. That's, that he tells him in verse 1, Cyrus, the reason you're walking through walls is because I'm holding your hand and walking you through them. And even though Cyrus doesn't recognize him, and even though Cyrus and his kingdom had splendor and majesty and might and was the most powerful man in the world, God says, I'm holding your hand. I'm equipping you to do all this, and you don't know who I am. That's exactly uh, what, what we're given in Daniel 7. That this, this, uh, this go, going back to Daniel 7, this... Lion had wings, but somebody's plucking off the wings. And somebody's, somebody is making it, is lifting it up and making it to stand on two feet like a man. And this bear, somebody's raising it up. And somebody's telling this bear to, to arise and devour much flesh. And the leopard is given dominion by somebody else. Who? God. God is sovereign. Even over the most evil nations of the world. Which explains why Daniel's question about the, the fourth beast is not answered directly. And he's basically said, you're, you're focusing on the wrong thing. I don't, it doesn't matter how evil they get. They're not unbridled. Because as we come to the last point, we come to the main point of the chapter of the, of the, uh, and of the visions, we come to the main point of all, which is the reassurance that Daniel has given as we live in a world that can many times seem overwhelmingly evil and cruel. So, right after the, the, Daniel is given the vision of the four beasts in verses 1 through 8, in the middle of the chapter, uh, right after the fourth beast, which is most terrifying, Daniel is given a second vision beginning in verse 9. And in that second vision, it's a vision of the one who is ruling over everything. You get hints of it in verses 1 through 8. It's in your face in verses 9 through 14. Look at verses 9 and 10. As I looked, thrones were placed. And the, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head like pure wool his throne was fiery like flames its wheels were burning fire let me just pause right here when i when i say symbolism is symbolism 
even what it tells us about God is like that. God does not literally have wool hair. And he's not literally sitting on a flaming chair, a, flame, a chair that somehow has wheels that are also on fire. Right? Um, anyway, that's not to say it's not true. I'm just saying there's symbols that are pointing us to another reality. And you've got to think, what is he trying to describe to me to say he's sitting on a flaming throne? You're right? That's a sobering. To say that it's symbolic, not literal, is not to empty it of meaning. It's to point you to a breathtaking meaning. Right? And it says, a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him. And 10,000 times 10,000. Is that a... Somebody count that many? No, it's just a, a ton. Stood before him. And here's the, the line of all lines. The court sat in judgment. And the books were opened. Man. So we're seeing what's going to take place in the end. This is like fast-forwarding to the end of the book. And I love what I want you to notice. I love how this vision is, is given right on the heels of that most terrifying fourth beast. Right? Notice the end of verse, verse 8, where this, this, this uh, in verse 8, this, this most terrifying beast is being described in all its horns and, you know, horn had eyes of a man, blah, 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 but it says at the end it had a, it had a mouth speaking great things. This beast, this fourth beast, this exceedingly terrifying fourth beast, had a mouth speaking great things. I'll just go ahead and say, I don't normally focus on what Bible translation to use. I'm not advocating to say one over the other. I will say I don't know that this is the best translation of that phrase right there, a mouth speaking great things. That can mean a lot of things, you know. Uh, great, speaking great things doesn't necessarily convey what it's trying to convey here. The, I, I think other translations say it better. The NIV says, a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. That's what this beast was doing. This beast had a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. The fourth kingdom is presented as, a, as arrogant and boastful and prideful in its evil and its rebellion against God. And right on the heels of this arrogantly boasting beast, in the very next verse, this vision of the throne of God and His judgment is presented and the court sits in judgment and the books are opened. And in fact, we're specifically told in verse 11. I looked then because of the sound of the great words, that is, the arrogant words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, that beast, that arrogantly boasting beast, was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. Even the most arrogantly rebellious king or ruler or kingdom of this world will not be able to stand at the judgment seat of God. And I want, to, I want you to notice one last thing 
that is prominent in this chapter. And that is the place that Jesus has in it. Daniel sees another vision right after this vision of the judgment seat. And in verses 13 and 14 we read, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. Does that ring any bells? Jesus said when he was on trial, one day you will see the heavens open and the Son of Man descending on the clouds. So there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion, that is Christ's dominion, is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is clearly Jesus who came as a man, but who is also eternal God. And it's through him that the nations will be judged. That's the point of the vision. There is a vision of the judgment seat given, followed by a vision of the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven to do the judging. Do you see the order of the, of the, of the visions? Three visions. One vision is the beasts who go from bad to worse. Next vision... Judgment is going to take place. Vision three, the Son of Man is going to do the judging. Which is why when you come to the New Testament, we're told that one day, everyone, in 2 Corinthians 5.10, everyone is going to appear before the judgment seat of whom? Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. On the other hand, back in Daniel 7, teaches us that all who belong to Christ will not be judged, but rather be saved and receive blessing from him. Notice that in verse 14, we're told that the Son of Man has a kingdom. Notice this. In verse 14, we're told that the Son of Man has a kingdom that will not pass away. And we're told in verse 18 that the saints of the Most High shall receive that kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, not just one forever, but forever a second time, and ever. It says it again in verse 22. The saints of the Most High will possess the kingdom. And again in verse 27. Shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. So Daniel was focused on that terrifying fourth beast. He said in verse 19, tell me more about that fourth beast. But God puts a different vision in front of him to focus his attention. He says, don't focus on the evil of this world. Instead, focus on the Lord who is Lord over this world and the one before whom the nations of this world will stand and be judged one day. There's four pretty awful kingdoms that are presented here, but a greater one that comes into focus. And be reassured that the ones who are in Christ will be saved on that day. And they will receive a greater kingdom that will never pass away.